My name is Cheshire and this is the home of the Epic Desk. So JW worked on the farm his whole life, he toiled all day in the hot sun for his father, making ends meet by selling crops to the market. Texas summers were infamous even in the 1920s for triple digit heat, and on the worst of those days, JW's father would send a boy into town to buy supplies and still be useful instead of cooking in the afternoon sun. So at the ripe old age of 12, JW had done this often enough to know that the town that they lived outside of, and he knew where the wrong side of the tracks were just as well. All the quote-unquote blacks that lived on the other side of town knew his name, and they expected him on those hottest of days. They called him Two Boy. Now, making his way across the county on foot, Two Boy Trammel, J.W., was seen many times talking to himself. And this is the kind of talking a person does to convince themselves of a feeling we all have to endure, knowing we are about to do something so stupid and doing it anyway. Some of the farmers would ride out to meet him on his journey, both black and white, trying to discourage this young man from what they had seen him do before. They'd remind him about the beating he'd catch when he got home. They'd ask if he was right with the Lord, just in case Two Boy wasn't ready for what he was about to face. In all of these talks, both with himself and with the godly men who came to greet him, never discouraged him or slowed his march toward his self-imposed trials. Much later... One of the many friends Two Boy had, he had made as a child, remarked, it was something he just said he had to do. It was what he thought God wanted him and wanted him for. So when Two Boy crossed into where the blacks lived, many of the children would start making their way to the road where he walked. Not wanting to get shot, J.W. would wait until many people came out to meet him before actually walking onto somebody's property. And surrounded by children and adults of a whole other color, Two Boy would point to a young black boy in the crowd assembled to meet him and motion for him to step forward. And then he would choose another. Without a word from the boys and explosive commotion from everybody watching, Two Boy would set to work on his chosen foes with the ferocity of a wild animal and the control of a Zen master. Sometimes the beatings would be quick, a sudden flurry of fists and blood, ending with Two Boy dusting off his hands with a grimace as he started home to get his comeuppance, and others lasted for tens of minutes, as the fight built in fury until only one white boy was left standing, and everybody knew that losing wasn't an option for J.W. If he was beaten, he would be beaten to death, and no one would have ever found his body. So he just never lost. It wasn't often in this time that two Negroes were given free reign to beat down a white boy, so J.W. understood why on one day in particular they were taking their sweet time in the burning afternoon sun. He had no idea he was about to suffer his first real defeat at the hands of someone other than his father. Fights had lasted before, but these two adversaries had done what no two previous had thought to do. They sat in disgust, at great length, how to beat Two Boy Trammel. So on this day, when J.W. made his way across the tracks, talked with farmers, and chose his adversaries, luck would have it that he chose the right two boys after they had a long night of talking. The fight that the boys brought that day lasted almost an hour. Like wild dogs attacking a wounded lion, they took their licks, they chiseled away at him, and they took turns working two-boy with old country boxing 
and good old-fashioned knockdown drag-out wrestling. When one would get tired, the other would tag in, keeping J.W. squarely occupied long enough for the other to catch his breath and save his partner before J.W. would deliver a coup de grace. And eventually, his tireless energy gave way and Two Boy found himself pinned beneath two young men who held his life in their hands. He knew he was finally beaten and was ready to see his death with eyes wide open. He didn't wince, he didn't give one moment of relent, and the crowd fell silent. And for what seemed like an eternity, he lay on the dusty ground, held fast by his chosen foes. Their fists raised, he looked them both in the eyes and waited to meet whatever fate they chose for him. And it wasn't until they smiled at each other, and at him, that he realized everyone knew he had finally met his match. And his weary smile crept out to give him the satisfaction they had fought so hard for. The crowd erupted as the boys helped J.W. to his feet. And he bowed his head and shook their hands as equals. The three boys, beaten and bloody, walked across the tracks back towards town, laughing and talking about differences in their lives and finding far more similarities than any of them had ever imagined. J.W. took the time to know them as fighters and as men. They laughed and prayed together and swaggered onto a town where two of them weren't welcome, and two boy warned them that one more fight was coming. People in the all-white town knew J.W. and had heard rumors of what he did when his father sent him to market alone now and again, and most of them thought it was funny when word came around that Two Boy had beaten a couple of coloreds again. So it came as quite a shock when the day arrived that he walked down the main street of this whole community with two of them by his side. And anyone who met their gaze on this day was received by a look that said clearly that no word should be spoken. People who had known and attended church for J.W. stepped aside as he looked upon them with a predatory stare that was only previously reserved for the men he was about to beat down. And the only person to speak up was the owner of the diner at the end of the street after the three boys walked in and sat down at a table reserved only for whites. And the diner owner approached them and said, They can't be there. They can't be in here. You know that, J.W. These niggers have to leave. And with that... J.W. came out of his chair, set himself on the diner owner, just as he had done to his companions an hour earlier, and he said, How dare you tell me I can't have a meal with my brothers? The resulting mayhem almost shattered a small Texas town, and when the smoke cleared, J.W. was never allowed off the farm again, until a man named Hitler made a challenge so big that even Tuboy had to answer Every fight across the track served as training for the war to end all wars. And if not for every bruise, scrape, and broken bone, Two Boy would have likely died on the other side of the world along with an entire company of his brothers, white, black, and red skin alike. He came home from the war and he started another fight that lasted the rest of his life. And he wasn't a kind man. And the gospel he preached didn't always leave room for anyone else's interpretation but his own. But Two Boy passed down a legacy to his whole family that carried on even until today. Even as a husband, a father, and a grandfather, Two Boy struck hard and he struck fast. And he never left any of us with any doubt that our lives could be over in a heartbeat if we didn't jealously guard them at every moment of waking. And in those hard days of our lives until his passing, we learned a most valuable lesson. 
in one way or another, for better or worse. We are all fighters. And how we fight is just as important as what we're fighting for.